That's a great way to start our service off this morning. You're going to notice the title of the message there on the front of your bulletins is He's Alive. The songs are about the resurrection. Uh, every We've not forgotten what holiday is coming up. Uh, every Sunday ought to be Resurrection Sunday, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that's where we are in the life of Jesus, and so that's where uh, in, in our sermon series that we're going through this morning. I want to welcome those of you who are on our phone live streaming. Uh, thank you so much for being there. Those of you who are on Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitter, be sure to heart to like, to share, subscribe, and follow uh, on all those platforms. Comment there. That just helps with all those algorithms to get the word out uh, even more. So uh, be sure to do that. So thank you for being there. If you have access to our church website, encourage you to go to highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab. You can download the worship bulletin. If you need one of these in person, uh, they're at the doors as you leave or as well as in the windowsills. So be sure and grab one. Lots of upcoming activities. Uh, children's worship bulletins are there also uh, under that tab. And then you can also find those printed versions over here uh, in the windowsill to my right. And then don't forget your prayer list uh, to get that downloaded and be praying through that. Uh, you can see mine scribbled all over because I've gotten added others uh, to the prayer list there uh, also. So do continue to pray for those. You'll hear some more at the end of our service when we give uh, that update. So I uh, just wanted to say welcome this morning. If you're one of our guests, especially if you're a first-time guest, we want to encourage you to pick up one of the little bags on the sides of the stage here or at the doors as you leave uh, today. Be sure to get one of those. It's got some gifts in it that we just want to say welcome. Glad to have you here with us this morning. Uh, it's got some information about our church in it too. Uh, so that's just our way of appreciating you for being here with us. So be sure to grab one of those. So Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us. Good morning all. Since our songs are all dealing with the resurrection and an Easter theme, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Let's all stand and sing 160, low in the grave we, uh, that he lay.
Our request is that God would continue to soften the hearts of those who are hostile towards the gospel as they seek to minister to them. But we have a lot of things that are going on uh, with missions. We're going to be emphasizing our, our international missions offering, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, uh, beginning next week. And then we'll be having some special emphasis on it as we go through the month of December. Uh, but we have some other things that we're doing. We have our angel tree uh, out in the foyer. Uh, I think all the angels are gone, but if you picked up one of those, be sure to bring your bags back and you can place them uh, at the tree out there. Uh, so be sure to put them at the tree out in the foyer. Uh, and I believe that's in the bulletin that tells you when uh, we need to have those uh, back by. So be sure to uh, get those back by December the 4th uh, to us. Uh, and then also, you'll notice over here to my left, we have our Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes. Uh, we've actually got some cartons here uh, that are filled with boxes. I didn't ask you, Miss Terry, before I got up here, how many we have totally? Do you know? Hundred and twenty-nine that are sitting right here, and so we just praise the Lord for that. But we want to pray for these shoe boxes also as a part of our missions emphasis uh, this morning. Uh, and so uh, we also want to share with you this brief video about Operation Christmas Child and what happens with those boxes, how it impacts a person's life. So prayerfully watch this video. My name is Ngesan Bitizie Eliaba Shimea. I grew up in a city called Boafle and was part of Christian family. My father was a pastor, and my mom was helping him in the ministry. We did not have a lot of money, but being together as a family was the most beautiful thing that we could have. One day, we received bad news. My father was sick, and uh, he passed away. From there, we faced poverty. Every night, my mother kept on saying that even though we don't see a father in this house, we have a father in heaven, and he loves us and he cares for us. So and I asked her, can he give me gifts since he is a father? And she said, yes, just go and pray. And I prayed at church. The pastor had an announcement and he said, after service, don't let the children go because we have some gifts for them. I received a whole shoebox for me, and I was like, all that for me? He said, yeah, is for you. And I took the box, I ran back to my mom. I said, mom, look at what I got today. She was so happy for me. It was so full and packed of toys, the toy that I've never get before. I was so happy. And the most beautiful thing that I ever wanted, it was a little car, a yellow race car. I was praying for something and God answered my prayer. I could feel God's love and the father that I did not have, God could feel that love in my heart. One day, my brother, he was uh, 24 years old, and he passed away. And I was so shocked that this could happen to my brother, and I was mad at God. I stopped going to school. I stopped talking to people. I did not want to live anymore. 
at some point I could hear one voice. It was so calm and sweet, telling me that, why don't you put your trust in me? I am your father. I could feel the change even, even though I was so mad. I could feel the calmness and I was like transformed. And I said, God, I want to give my life to you. I want to trust you. And that day, I made up my mind. I want to accept Jesus and uh, get baptized. My family was happy for me, and me too, I was happy. I could realize that Jesus was still with me, and he is my friend. Before I was relying on my father, I was relying on my brother, but God wanted me to rely on him. I did not know the one who packed the shoebox for me, but I know something that God touched a stranger's heart to pack a shoebox full of love, sent right to me. Today, I know that no matter what comes my way, I should trust him, trust in the Lord. Back home in Boisfle, till here, it was a whole miracle. And if you haven't seen miracle, I am the miracle. You never know the impact of these shoe boxes. So for him, it didn't happen immediately when he received that box. It happened later, but that box planted the seeds in his heart. And so we just want to thank you so much that these are not just toys that you're sending. This is the gospel that you're sending to kids, and it will not only impact those kids, it will impact their families also. And so let's pray for that. Uh, pray for each one of these boxes uh, that you packed, uh, and then we'll share a little bit more after we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for Benjamin Brig, who is one of our missionaries uh, who is serving overseas to the Central Asian peoples. Father, we just pray that you will bless him and the ministry they have there to those individuals who are hostile towards them. Father, I pray that you would soften their hearts and open opportunities for them to share the gospel. And Father, we thank you for the story that we've heard uh, this morning of this young man who received a shoebox, but later it was, after those seeds were planted in his heart, that he trusted in Jesus as his heavenly father. And so, Father, I pray for each one of these shoeboxes. We don't know exactly where each one of these will go. We don't know the kids whose hands they will come into. But, Lord, we know that you do. And so we just pray that you will direct these boxes with the gospel uh, directly to the kid that it needs to get to. May it impact their hearts in such a tremendous way that they would trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. They would be discipled and they would share with others around them, including their family members, that many people would come to faith in Christ because of what we've been able to do through this wonderful ministry. So bless all these shoeboxes that will be uh, packed in cartons uh, tomorrow and put on those trailers. Uh, Father, as they go out, we just pray for your blessings upon them. And bless us this morning as we come to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let me just share quickly with you. You know how you can do your giving. You can do that online. You can do that down here uh, in the pew, in, in the pulpit, uh, in front of the pulpit, in the plates. Uh, these are in the pews in front of you. We do have a sign-up sheet on the board outside the offices. If you would be interested in going down to volunteer at the Processing Center in Atlanta, there's an opportunity coming up this Saturday 
and there's an opportunity coming up two weeks from that Saturday in December. Uh, so be sure to take a look at that if you might be interested in being in on that part of the process. Uh, we do need some helpers for Monday, so if you can help us at, in, at all on Monday, 10 to 2, or somewhere like that, 10, yeah. Uh, we need people to help pack the shoe boxes from these cartons onto those trailers, so we need some strong arms uh, that can help us with that. It'll be a wonderful blessing. You'll receive a wonderful blessing from it. So thank you, Brother Mike. Your hymnal again, and let's sing Christ the Lord is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen.
Stand with us all and let's sing 178, hymn 178, He is Lord.
Amen. Take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to John's Gospel. John chapter 20, verse 1 through verse 18. Uh, as we come to this passage this morning, uh, this is what we're going to find out. He is alive. Uh, he's alive then. He's alive now. Uh, he lives in us. And so uh, what a powerful thing we're going to see uh, in this passage this morning, because this is what our our whole lives as Christians uh, hinges upon, uh, revolves around, is the resurrection. I know we're getting ready uh, in just a few weeks here to celebrate Christmas and the birth of Jesus Christ, uh, but the resurrection really is the whole purpose uh, of the birth of Jesus Christ. And so uh, as we've been going through this series, I didn't know exactly when we would get to the resurrection. This is just where uh, it came, and the Lord has directed that uh, through his providence. So John chapter 20, verse 1, uh, and all the way down through verse 18, we're just going to read uh, a few verses here uh, together. So John 20, verse 1, let's stand as we read God's word. In honor of his word. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word this morning. Lord, this is what we look forward to uh, as believers, because this is where our hope is founded in, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, there could have been a birth. There could have been miracles uh, that Jesus maybe had performed. But if there was no resurrection from the dead, then we are still lost in our sins and are of all men most miserable. So, Father, I pray this morning that you'll use this passage to uh, speak to the hearts of those who don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they will see and hear the gospel message of the resurrection and what Christ came to do for them. But, Lord, I also want to pray for every one of us as believers, Lord, that we would be encouraged uh, by the hope that we have. Lord, when, when things are discouraging around us, when the world uh, it seems in total chaos around us, Lord, when our world, our life uh, seems turned upside down, Lord, we have a hope in Jesus that can see us through anything we may face. So, Father, I pray that you'll speak your truth into our hearts as believers this morning to encourage us in our walk with you too. So bless your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So understand, in this passage this morning, we're not talking here about resuscitation. We're not talking about reincarnation. Uh, we're not talking about if Jesus went unconscious and got a vision of heaven or hell and came back to write some best-selling book. Uh, we're talking about being killed by crucifixion wrapped up in grave clothes, 
put into a tomb, and on the third day after being put in that tomb, that morning, that stone is rolled away, and Jesus is walking around alive. Now, I love the way that John tells us this story. John, Jesus' disciple here, who wrote down this account of the resurrection, tells us here first in these first few verses about how Mary uh, came to the tomb, Mary Magdalene, and she discovered that the tomb, the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. Uh, she was thinking when she got there and saw that stone rolled away, oh my Lord, somebody has stolen the body of our Lord Jesus. That's immediately what she begins to think. And you read the story there as John lays it out for us. She runs back to the other disciples to go tell them what she's seen. Now, it doesn't tell us whether she looked inside or not. We assume she didn't uh, because she doesn't relay any of the other facts to the disciples about what was in the empty tomb that we're going to see they're going to see when they get there. And so she came to that tomb, discovers it, goes back to tell those disciples, specifically Peter and John. So uh, John, all throughout this section, uh, in, this, in his account of Jesus, he never refers to himself by his name. That's something important to understand. So you're not going to see John's name in this text that we're looking at. Instead, the way he always refers to himself is either the other disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved. And really all that is is just a picture in his humility of his personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, and so John writes there and tells us that Peter went out with the other disciple. And they were going to the tomb, and both of them were running, but the other disciple uh, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. You know, uh, I, I grew up with brothers, and, and we were always uh, competing with one another. You could take anything and, and turn it into a, a competition. Uh, so here is John in the middle of all these important details that he's giving us here uh, about the resurrection of Jesus, and, and all these important details in the middle of this, he could have included here all anything about the resurrection of Jesus. He makes sure that 2,000 years later, we know he was faster than Peter. <laughs> he beat Peter to the tomb. I got there before Peter did. Now, he doesn't tell us that, that I, John, I got there first, but here in John 20... We're going to see these first eyewitnesses to an empty tomb in Jerusalem. And this is key. This is how the news of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done has spread over thousands of years all the way up to today. How has God designed the, the, the news of Jesus' resurrection to spread in the world and to spread throughout history? Through witnesses. We see the first account here of somebody seeing the empty tomb, and what do they do? Immediately they go tell somebody else. The first picture of being a witness, of giving a testimony. And it's through that eyewitness testimony uh, of the resurrected Jesus that the message of the gospel begins to spread. Now, now, don't get me wrong. Obviously, it was only people in the first century in this specific time and this specific place who physically saw Jesus alive. Hundreds and hundreds of them did. Jesus appears, as we're going to find out later, to hundreds and hundreds of people. But here's what we need to understand. Some 2,000 years later, 
we not only have testimony from people like John who saw Jesus alive and wrote this down, but we have the testimony of 2,000 years of witnesses whose lives have been changed by the resurrected Christ that John wrote about. And so John's account of the resurrection has a twofold purpose that we want to be aware of and make sure we understand. One is, in his account, is to give evidence, to give the evidence that led him himself to immediately understand and believe. So he wants others to know, how did I come to faith? That's something that every one of us who are believers ought to want to make sure that we are letting others know. Even if that, let me tell you this, if you're a parent, your greatest mission field is your family. If you're married, your greatest mission field there is your husband, your wife, making sure they know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know, there are some who, who your spouse doesn't come to church with you. I'd encourage you, be that witness to them, not just verbally, but also by living that before them. That's what John wanted in writing all this down. He wanted others to know about Jesus. But he also wanted to give enough evidence to lead anybody to immediate belief if a person's willing to believe. And so not only to give an account of what, how it happened for him, but also to share with others uh, so that they would give them the evidence so they could believe also. So John's record of Jesus' resurrection, it is a very strong historical account of the event. To, to an honest, objective person with a good heart, that the evidence is convincing. And so God proclaims in Scripture that he is, that he exists, that he is love, and that he has shown his love in the most supreme way by sending his only begotten son to die on the cross uh, for our sins, to save a lost and dying world. And so in these verses we're going to look at this morning that follow John's account of this empty tomb, we see Jesus alive, we see him risen from the dead, revealing himself, to different people. And so I want us to listen to their testimonies and, and see what we can apply to our lives. So first of all, notice Mary's unquestioning discovery. Mary's unquestioning discovery. You find this in verse 1 and verse 2. Her discovery is the unsealed tomb. So notice Mary visited the tomb very early. In fact, before the sun rose. She was there while it was dark. And so even if she had wanted to, I mean, think about it, a cave would have, a tomb would have been dark. Uh, it's dark outside. She probably couldn't have seen inside unless she's carrying a lamp that she could have put into the tomb there. And, and so she visits the tomb early while it's still dark. Matthew actually says it was the end of the Sabbath, meaning it was somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. So Jesus, we find out, arose before dawn, before the sun rose uh, on that Sunday morning. He, he had been in that grave for three days, just like he had said. Uh, his rising from the dead was a victory uh, over death. A and death reigns no more because of what Jesus did on the cross. So we see also that Mary, when she gets there, she sees something else. She sees the stone rolled back 
from the tomb. So not only does she go before uh, the sun rises, she sees the stone rolled back from the tomb. And think about this. In Jesus' day, tombs were, were closed by these huge uh, cartwheel-like stones in front of the entrance. Uh, you, you probably, some of you who've, who've seen some of the historical things around uh, Middle Tennessee, even Upper East Tennessee where we were at, uh, you would see at a mill, you would have a stone wheel uh, that's a grinding stone. Uh, these wheels, that's similar to what it would be like that would cover the tomb entrance. And so yet it would be huger to cover that, that opening that was carved out into uh, the rock there to enter into uh, the cave there for the tomb. Uh, and so that cart-like wheel stone would be in the front of the entrance. They were almost impossible to remove. Because what they would do is in front of that, they would, they would chisel out a trench in front of that. That way the stone would have a lip that it would sit against, that it couldn't just flop over and, and come open. Somebody couldn't just go up and pull on it and pull it down. Uh, it would have this trench that it was set into. So it would be almost impossible uh, to remove it because once it comes down uh, from an elevated position down into this trench, you're not pushing it back up uh, out of that, uh, by, at least by yourself there. And, and so they were almost impossible to remove that deep slanting uh, carved out uh, of the rock there for the entrance. Now, the stone usually weighed several tons. And all of those kind of precautions were essential because there were so many tombs that would be ransacked, that would be broken into in the days uh, of poverty. The tomb itself was further secured by being sealed. So not only does it have this stone, this huge stone that has been rolled in front of it, because remember the, the, the ladies thought before they ever got to the tomb, oh, wait a second, there's a stone that's going to be there. How are we going to move that stone when we get there? We find that out in the other gospel accounts. Well, they didn't have to worry about that. It was gone. It was moved. And so, uh, but we also find out before all that, the tomb had been sealed. Uh, when it was necessary to seal a tomb, uh, the, the huge stone would be cemented to the entrance walls or else some other type of rope or, or binding uh, was wrapped around the entrance stone and would be fastened to the sides uh, of the outside walls there of the tomb. Then that binding itself was cemented uh, with a hard-like clay or wax-like substance. In the case of some burials, usually political figures, the seal of the emperor was also attached to the walls of the entrance. And that was to strike fear uh, in the people's lives that, that if they messed with this tomb, uh, they could face Roman retaliation uh, against intruding into this tomb. So in the case of Jesus' tomb, not only did we find out when you read the rest of the gospel accounts that his tomb was, had a stone in front of it, that his stone was sealed, had a Roman seal on it. Uh, we find out also, as they took further precautions were taken, they placed a guard, a patrol guard, ag out against any foul play. Now, the guard is not just a couple of guys. It would include a large number of men. So what a powerful evidence for the resurrection. Understand this, the stone wasn't rolled back so that Jesus could come out. You understand that, right? Jesus, when we find out he appears to his disciples later, he walks through walls. 
he suddenly appears. He didn't need the stone to be rolled back, uh, to, to get out. So it wasn't uh, rolled back for his benefit. It was rolled back for the witnesses to see the resurrection. It was rolled back for our benefit. So when Jesus arose, he's in his resurrection body, the spiritual body of the spiritual dimension that has no physical bounds. He didn't need the stone rolled back to leave the tomb uh, because material substance has no bearing on spiritual substance. However, those witnesses are going to need to look in. They're going to not, they're gonna not want to second guess, well, was he there, was he not there? They needed to see the truth. And so we also find... That in John's account here, after she sees the stone rolled away, Mary runs to Peter. Now that's important because it shows that Peter is still the accepted leader. Why is that important? Because if you'll remember, it was Peter who was standing around those fires that night when Jesus was having his trial, and there were individuals who came up to him and said, I know you, you're with him. Peter said, no, I'm not. Then a little while later, somebody else approaches him, and he, he's adamant, no, I don't know that man. And in fact, when he's approached that last time we read of in the Scripture, he begins cursing that he doesn't know or want anything to do with that Jesus. And yet now, here's Mary Magdalene. First one she goes to is Peter. What a man of courageous stature and moral strength. Because think about his cowardice there, how it had been probably been told to everybody. It, it had probably been a well-rumored uh, thing that had been spread about, yet he repented and picked himself up and resumed the task. And we're going to find out later that he still needs some encouragement from Jesus to keep going forward. But at this point, at least, Mary goes to Peter. And then we see that Mary reveals her unquestioning love. Her unquestioning love. Look at verse 2 again. She said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. They've taken away the Lord. Now Mary is an example, a great example, of somebody who loves and believes even though she didn't understand it all. She didn't understand everything that's happening. She was one of the last to leave Jesus there at the cross. She's one of the first to go to the tomb, and she is one who still calls him Lord. Her belief is a belief of love, not a belief based on intellect, not a belief based on understanding. She knew what Jesus had done for her, and she loved him for it. She, Jesus was her Lord, whether he was dead or whether he was alive. That's where John starts his account of the resurrection. But then I want you to see, secondly, Peter and John's shocking discovery. So not only is there her, there her unquestioning discovery, there is their shocking discovery, the linen clothes. So go, if you will, to verse 3 down through verse 10. So Peter went out with the other disciple. We talked about that before. That's John. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple, John, uh, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, verse 5, he saw the linen cloths lying there, 
but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and he goes into the tomb. He went in the tomb. Now, you remember Peter. Peter was one who spoke before he thought. He was one who acted before he thought, and he just goes bursting right on in to the tomb here. And so he saw the linen cloth lying there also. Verse 7, And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, again, that's John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, get this, they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So they discover this empty tomb with these linen clothes. They went out to the tomb. John outruns Peter. John arrives, he glances in, he notices the linen cloths. Peter arrives, he impulsively goes into the tomb just like we would expect him to do. He also sees those linen cloths lying there empty and the cloth for the head carefully rolled and lying by itself. They both knew the significance of what they were seeing. Because here's what they knew. If the body had been removed by the authorities, or if the body had been stolen by somebody, those linen clothes would have either been taken with the body, in other words, as they came in to steal the body, they would have just left it wrapped up with those spices and everything that they did get into uh, the, the linen clothes there uh, before they buried him. They would have just taken him just like he was and, and went on out with him to steal the body. Or... Those linen clothes would have been left in a mess, thrown somewhere on the floor, as they would have been hurriedly unwrapping the body and just tossed everything down on the floor. In fact, think about this. With the presence of the spices in the folds of the clothes, it would be almost impossible to unwrap a corpse without damaging the wrappings. There would have been spices that would have been thrown around also. The only way those linen clothes could be left in that condition is if Jesus passed through them as he arose from the dead. What an awesome thing to understand. John entered that tomb, and he looked at the evidence, and the Bible says he saw and believed. Notice the linen clothes. I mean, standing outside while Peter's inside the tomb, John's mind's apparently whirling and pondering and wondering and thinking. Peter's already burst into the tomb. John hasn't gone in. He just saw the linen clothes. That's all he did. He just peeked in. But he hasn't gone in yet. And then suddenly it begins to dawn on him, those linen clothes, they're laying there undisturbed. The Greek word there means wrapped together which is a term usually used for winding the linen clothes around a body for burial. The Greek word is saying that these linen clothes were still in their folds, still wrapped just like they would have been wrapped around a body, as if the body had just evaporated. They weren't messy, they weren't piled up, and that says several things to us also. Because as we said already, it would have been impossible to remove the body from its wrappings and leave it in such a, a, a pristine order. 
The wrappings would have been taken with the body if the body had been removed. The wrappings would have been in a pile on the floor, disarranged and scattered by the thieves. The wrappings uh, uh, under any circumstance that you could possibly be conceived uh, in, in removing the body could never be placed in the exact spot on that slab where the body lay. And yet this is just how they were laying according to the Greek text. So when John wrote this account, here's what I want you to notice also. He uses three different Greek words for seeing. In John 20, verse 5, the verb simply means to glance in, to look in. So it says, and stooping to look in, he saw. So it's just a glance in, just to look in. That's one Greek word he uses. In John 20, verse 6, Simon Peter came following him, went into the tomb. He saw. That's the second word that John uses in his account. And that word means to look carefully, to observe. And then in John 20, verse 8, the word saw there means to perceive with comprehension. So three different Greek words here that John uses that comes over into our English translation to be see or saw. Uh, their, their resurrection faith is now beginning to grow. It's beginning to dawn upon them what's happened. What kind of faith did Peter and John have at this stage in their spiritual experience? They had a faith that was based on the evidence. They could see it. They could see those grave clothes. They knew the body of Jesus wasn't there. However, as good as the evidence is to convince the mind, it can never change the life. You can have all the evidence that you want to see physically, but that will not change the heart. Those of us who live centuries later, think about it. Have you ever seen the linen clothes laying there in the tomb? You ever been over to Israel to see that? People visit all the time, and we've never seen it. We don't see the evidence ourselves because the material evidence, the tomb, the grave clothes, no longer there for us to inspect. But we have the record in the Word of God, and that record is true. In fact, it's faith in the Word that the Lord really wanted to cultivate in His disciples anyway. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter made it clear that the Word of God, not our personal experiences, ought to be the basis for our faith. And so these disciples, think about it, all they had, they didn't have the New Testament, all they had was the Old Testament scriptures. So, so that what is referred to in John 20 and verse 9, when it says, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that's talking about the Old Testament. The early church used the Old Testament to prove to both Jews and Gentiles that Jesus is the Christ, that he died for sinners, and that he rose again. And so the synopsis of the gospel that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 4 says this, and that he arose again the third day according to the scripture. That wasn't from the Old Testament scriptures. That's from the New Testament. So what scriptures did Paul and, and John have in mind? There were passages in the Old Testament. There were passages like Psalm 2, 7, Psalm 16, verse 8 through verse 11, Psalm 110, verse 1, and many others throughout the Old Testament that talk about the resurrection. 
It, it, was, it was that, old, those Old Testament passages that, that led John to an immediate belief. So notice John's immediate belief. He didn't believe because of the insurmountable evidence, but because he loved Jesus. Seeing those linen clothes laying there began to penetrate John's heart. It began to penetrate in, from his mind to his heart, and he remembered what Jesus had been saying, that he would arise. He realized what had happened, and he believed. This is the point of the resurrection account. A loving God wants love, a heart full of love. He wants us to simply believe that God is and that God is a rewarder of them that love him. But that leads us back to one final thing here. Mary's powerful discovery, the testimony of a changed life. Look at verse 11 down through verse 18. So verse 11 says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. So obviously she follows them back. As she wept, she stooped to look in, into the tomb, verse 12. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus was laying, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? They, she said to them, they have taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her in verse 15, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned, and she said in the Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So right outside that tomb, here was Mary who was hurting. And now Jesus gives her hope. I mean, think about the other's testimony to the, to the resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years ago. And even today in this room, after John and Peter walk away from the tomb, the first witness to the resurrected Jesus himself is Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary Magdalene is not to be confused with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary Magdalene was a woman whom Jesus had healed long before this. And she followed him ever since. She was present at Jesus' trial. She was there when Pilate declared that Jesus would be crucified. She looked on as, as Jesus was mocked, as he was beaten, as he was scourged, as he was eventually crucified. And here she is now, a couple of days later, early in the morning, while it's still dark, coming to Jesus' tomb. When she gets there, she's shocked. That stone that had been rolled away, immediately she assumes the body's been stolen, which apparently wasn't an uncommon thing in that day. So after hearing about Peter and John, John picks up the story there in verse 11. And you can just imagine she's weeping in those tears. Not only is Mary not able to recognize Jesus, she's not expecting in any way that he would be alive. Resurrection wasn't even in people's worldview at that point. That was the farthest thing from her mind. 
And so she just look at her, feel the weight and the wonder of this scene. Here's Mary Magdalene, a woman whom Jesus has healed, who had gone from being an unclean person in the culture around her to being clean, to having a new life, only to see that the one that she has followed has been murdered in the most violent form of death imaginable. Think about the horror of that scene that she's witnessed and that grief that she's experiencing. All of her hopes have been dashed. All of her joy has been ripped away and only to now come and give proper respects to Jesus in his death and to find, so she thinks, somebody stolen the body. You ever have those times in your life when it rains, it pours? You ever had a point in this world where you've ever experienced grief so deep that it's impossible to put into words? Ever felt like your hopes have been dashed? That you felt like your joy has been taken away? That you feel like you're alone in the middle of it all? I've got a feeling that most of us can identify at some level, maybe at many levels, with the hurt that we can just imagine that Mary's going through here. Here she is. She's completely alone by herself standing by this tomb weeping, unable to be consoled even by the angels themselves, much less some gardener, until this supposed gardener says one word, Mary. You can just imagine the way he says it in a voice that's recognizable, that's as recognizable as a wife's voice is to her husband or a father's voices to his child. The voice of Jesus in her heart, she hears, it echoes. Mary. And she says with shock and surprise, Oh, teacher. In an instant, she goes from grief to gladness. In an instant, she goes from joy to sorrow. She was hurting, and Jesus gives her hope. What a powerful image and a powerful picture for us to see of what Jesus can do for us. That if you're here this morning and you're hurting, Jesus comes to bring you hope. You're here this morning as a believer. He's wanting you to take that message of hope to people around us who are hurting in this world, who are dying without Jesus. And I don't mean that you have to go to some third world country. You have people right here who are in your circles who need Jesus. People who are hurting, just like Mary. What will you do? The question is, what have you already done with Jesus? You've seen the evidence. You've heard the testimony. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted by faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the message this morning is Jesus is alive. And what a hope that brings for our hearts this morning, that if you would trust in him as your Lord and Savior, you could have eternal life. Church, tell the world. We, we're celebrating Thanksgiving this coming week. You have the most and the greatest things to be thankful for in all of this world. That your sin has been forgiven and that you will spend eternity with Jesus, not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did.
Would you share that message with those around you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for caring for us, even in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our pain. Lord, we see and have seen here in this passage what Mary was going through in her heart and the testimony that she leaves behind. That you used her as you embraced her to go and tell those other disciples, for them to come back and see it for themselves, what a witness she was. But then in that hurt and that pain, the embrace of that one word, Mary. Lord, I pray this morning that we would understand and know this truth, that you know us and you call every one of us by our name. Lord, as I think about my name, I remember you calling my name to come to faith in Christ. Lord, there's some people you're calling by name this morning to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. There are others, you may be calling them by name to, to, to commit to Christian ministry that you're calling them to. Whether that's to preach the gospel, whether that's to lead youth or, or lead children or lead in music or whatever way that you would have them to serve. Father, I pray that we would hear your voice this morning in the midst of whatever pain we're going through. We would hear you calling our name. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. What a great love you've shown us. Thank you for all that you have done for us. And may at this time at Thanksgiving, may we declare to the world around us, maybe as we're sitting around that Thanksgiving dinner, to remind others around us what we're thankful most for, Jesus. So use our lives and our lives as a witness and testimony to others. Have your way and your will in this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation, would you come this morning as the Lord lays on your heart? Number 320, turn your eyes upon Jesus.
Mark come and share our announcements. Good morning, everybody. Just have a couple of announcements. Pastor Matt, do you want to kick us off here? Uh, youth will be helping Miss Terry today help uh, at 3 o'clock with the shoe boxes. So instead of at 5, we'll be meeting at 3 outside by the ministry center. So if uh, students, you could be here then at 3 o'clock. Appreciate that. Thank you, Matt. Okay, Terry, your turn. More details. <laughs> if anybody else wants to come, you can't come on Monday to help load that truck. Come today because we're going to be putting our boxes and the cartons that come from Chevyville in there today. But I just want to say thank you to Highland Baptist Church. This is time to be thankful. Uh, I look at all these boxes over here, and it is truly a blessing what all has come in. We had set a goal of 100 shoe boxes for our packing party. And thanks to Miss Amy and the Cubbies, they packed the last seven boxes that we had stuff for, and we packed 100 shoe boxes. So we made our goal. Uh, we do need money for shipping. Uh, they asked for six uh, for ten dollars. It covers shipping and the supplies for the kids to take the 13-week study afterwards, so that they can hear more about who Christ is. And so, if you have the funds to do that, we will send a check in sometime after Thanksgiving. We mail our check. Uh, so if you have the funds and would like to make a donation to that, we would appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. That was certainly a wonderful testimony by that young man from Ivory Coast uh, this morning about uh, the role of, of the Christian love through those boxes in his life there. Uh, also, just a couple of other announcements. Uh, Jacob Bar Barksdale is in the hospital after being in a car crash down in Louisiana. Keep that family in your prayers. Um, Brad and Karen, I think, are the parents. And then uh, Ken Jordan's memorial service will be uh, Thursday, December 7th. Not this week, but uh, December 7th. 1 o'clock, First Baptist Church here in Tullahoma. And then keep Tony Rogers and his family in your prayers this week. He's scheduled for back surgery this Wednesday. Are there any other announcements before we close prayer? All right, let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are alive and that your, uh, your life is sufficient for us yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you that you have called each of our name and invited us to walk with you and, uh, and to live a life that is full of joy and peace and a life that goes on with you forever. Thank you for each one that is here. We thank you for this word from you, for your presence with us in this service, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.